What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. of the King's Falls Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we always do. How you doing, Rich? Oh, I'm doing great, Brendan. I'm doing great. The Kings are on a bit of a winning streak, but uh, yeah, can't say the same for the Celtics after <laughs> what the Kings did to them. So uh, you ducked us. You ducked all of uh, our fine listeners when you skipped out on that episode. Uh we had Tony's of Terrace on to fill your boots, but you're going to have to face the music, man. Uh, the Celtics took that L from the Sacramento Kings. What did you think about that? They did. I thought that uh, Buddy Heald looked like a superstar in that game, and it was uh, it was a great performance from him. The Celtics couldn't do anything to stop him, even putting Marcus Smart on him, who is just an amazing defender, and... You know, honestly, the Celtics have not been as good as their record has shown. They've played some pretty mediocre teams and gotten away with some some bad basketball, especially in the first half of games. And it was only a matter of time before a good team put them in their place. And it's nice to say that the good team was the Sacramento Kings. I thought they were a little bit hot at times, Buddy specifically. But overall, the Kings just, just played a really quality, well-rounded game, as we've kind of gotten used to after – what the last eight they're six and two now yeah they've only lost one game since De'Aaron Fox's injury uh and that was a one point loss on like you know some questionable officiating down the line there uh did you see this run coming at all no I did not um not really. No. Like I, there's not really like two ways to say it. I thought that Sacramento was playing well but their defense uh would be a little bit questionable against what has been like one of the top three offenses in the league in Boston and they just did a really quality job and and to kind of touch on the defense recently in general for the Kings I think that like you know okay so Portland Los Angeles and Boston all scored 99 points against them to hold those teams under 100 is is a serious accomplishment. I mean, those those teams have a lot of offensive talent to them. And I wanted to ask you why you think that that has happened. Why I think specifically that, that they've been able to hold good offenses to under 100 points or, or just a general... I get just general, just general um, great defensive play from them recently. Yeah, I mean... I I don't know that I have a great answer to this. Um, I think that you probably have to give it up to 
head coach Luke Walden that a lot of his preaching of, uh, you know, going away from the transition and focusing more on traditional basketball, focusing more on defense and half-court offense and slowing the game down, you know, we we knew that it was going to take some of the pop out of this team, take some of the excitement out of the team. But, um, you know, I think that Omer Khan, when he was on here, did a really good job presenting the argument that the Kings, what will result from the Kings focusing on those things will be something more sustainable. Um, and, you know, certainly at this point in the season, without Bagley, without Fox, there would have been no hope for the Kings to run a gimmicky, fast-paced offense. But, yeah, right. I mean, it, it seems that they've focused on, you know, fundamentals and, you know, bringing in guys like Corey Joseph and uh, Rashawn Holmes that are playing really strong defense. I've been really impressed with Corey Joseph's defense. I saw, looking up something for a, an article today, I saw that Corey Joseph has only given up a 31% defensive field goal percentage since Fox wow. went down. Wow. So as a starter, and that's a lot of minutes. And that's like playing. guarding LeBron and Kemba Walker. Like those were against no jokes of players. Yeah, Kemba in particular. That's that's a really impressive accomplishment. Um, I think that you know Rubio is not quite on that level, but he, he's got some tough assignments for sure. Um, he's probably yeah. But and speaking of Rubio, Rubio like did nothing in this game whatsoever. No. Let's just – I'm going to throw the score out here for anyone that missed the game. Well, real quick on my, my little take on the defense. Um, sure. I, I agree with you. It is hard to identify it. But I think just the little notes that would lead to teams with just a straight-up lower score uh, in, as their final tally was the Kings have been playing, obviously, with a slower pace. Um, even a little bit before Fox went down, when this wins, when the wins started to come in, in their last eight games, it's been a 95 pace compared to 100 in the first the first five. They're just playing a little bit slower, which um, obviously is going to give the other team less possessions as well, um, because the opposing teams are shooting about the same percentage. Effective field goal percentage of the first five games, uh, 57.3, and of the last eight, 55. So really not all that much of a difference. I think it's been pretty simple where they're just playing a little slower. Opposing teams are getting uh, less possessions as well because of that. And the communication on defense is, is getting better. There's still lapses. Um, but I, I think just little things like that have, have made it look a lot better. And yeah, that's, that's my sort of slight takeaways, but there's definitely still a little bit more digging that needs to be done. And you need to see this for a longer stretch of time. Right, exactly. Like we, I don't know that we can just call it that this team is significantly improved on defense. It certainly looks that way right now, but yeah, it is. It's hard to call it. Um, but you know, at the same time, um, so let let's quickly just make sure we touch on the basics of this Suns Kings game from Tuesday night before we talk about it too much. But this was not a game where the Kings held their opponent to under 100 points. They gave up 116 points to the Suns, but they they won the game, so it was 120-116. Um, I will quick, quickly hop onto that uh, Rubio note there because uh, he did not make a basket on the night. He had one point oh, off, of, off of free throw, but 0 for 7 from the field, 0 for 3 from 3, uh, minus 14, 
you got to think that Corey Joseph has been a part of that, right? He definitely was. And, and you know, the Suns were missing their best player. No Aaron Baines. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's actually a decent but point. I think that he actually had some impact on their offense looking a little shaky. Like, I, I just Kaminsky screens are not going to have the same effect of, like, an Aaron Baines screen. I think that he spaces the floor better than Kaminsky, even though Kaminsky was three of six from three. Um, he's a lot more one-dimensional. So I think that hurt Phoenix a bit. But the Kings did play some really quality defense. They were blowing out the Suns at one point until a really terrible second half. Yeah, they they were fully on their way to like a 40-point win. Right. They were up like 27, something around there. Yeah, um, there was... So I just wanted to also mention, like, with Baines out, with with Aiden unavailable due to suspension, yeah, I mean, Rashawn Holmes was just, like, in such a beautiful position to eat against the Suns, and he absolutely did, uh, 20 and 15. And then Dwayne Dedman also, I was getting pretty amped for a Dwayne Dedman comeback game. Oh, yeah. Uh, Shooting with, sleeve, Dedman. Is, it, is that right? <laughs> yeah, I think the last two games now. I didn't notice that, but I, I did notice he was matched up against Czech Diallo for a lot of the game. Right. Um, and he did, I mean, he did a little bit. Uh, I think he hit his first four shots. Uh, you know, they weren't threes. They were pretty easy looks. Like They were right. pretty ugly sometimes, too. Yeah. I mean, are you, have we started to see any progress at all from Deadman? Not really. No. I mean, I, I have a piece that I think is coming out tomorrow about how Bagley and Deadman, I feel like, have to remain a duo the same way that Bielitsa and Holmes do, in a way. And I think that Bagley coming back could benefit Deadman a good amount. It, like, he was very comfortable in um, Atlanta being paired next to John Collins in a role that I think Bagley could fill that Collins role. Man, I think that would make this team... So are you saying that that you would that how often would you go to that pairing if you're if that's your your pair is that your pair off the bench or is that your starting pair? Well, I think and I know you posed this question to Tony and kind of said not outside of you know needing time to come back, but I think with for Bagley, but I think that is what you need to do is you need to have Bagley and Deadman off the bench. And if those two are working well together, even more than Bagley just needing time to come back, but also him being next to Deadman, um, I think that they both come off the bench to start because debatably Bielitsa and Holmes have been uh, actually probably not even debatably two of the three best players for the Kings this year yes. um, until Bogdanovich's recent great level of play. Um, so it's kind of hard to not have those guys in at the end of games. So I don't feel like this, the Kings should force feed Bagley like into being in the starting lineup. He's going to get his minutes as he should, but I, I think that he can get that, get his development and you still, um, make an effort to win games. Yeah. I don't think it's debatable at all. Um, yeah, we did talk about this. We did talk about this, uh, me and Tony pretty extensively. So I don't want to, um, I guess, you know, drive the point home too much in a second consecutive episode. But I will also say that I put this poll out on Twitter. I really enjoy doing that with these questions that I struggle with from time to time. And I asked, you know, say Bagley were 100% healthy, 
what is your starting front court? And I didn't, I didn't even put Deadman in this as an option. I probably should have, uh, but I don't think it would have gotten much love. Uh, we got a lot of votes, like 628 votes on this. It's a pretty decent sample size. And Bagley and Holmes was the preferred pairing over uh, Bagley and Bielitsa and over Bielitsa and Holmes. And, hmm, I hate that. I, I genuinely hate that. Do you hate that? I do. Um, I want to try and pull up what I got going here, but I, I did some some stats of also, you know, other pairings throughout the league. Um, and with a mediocre shooter and a non-shooter, like I, I pulled Cully Stein and Draymond Green, um, Kyle Kuzma and, um, and Dwight Howard, and then as well, Larry Nance Jr. and Tristan Thompson. And pretty much always what was happening was that the the below average shooter, which would be Bagley in this case, their individual three-point percentage was improving, but the team's overall shot selection, the amount of threes that they were getting up, mid-ranges, the amount of threes that they were attempting would go down, the mid-range attempts would go up, and the team's overall three-point percentage would hurt. So I think that it could help Bagley specifically in regards to maybe having more of an open three ball, but that's not where you want Bagley. Like Bagley is best around the rim and Holmes is the same way. So I 100% agree. I don't think that those guys can go together. And I don't like the idea of um, Bagley Bielitsa because you can't really like, I feel like having Holmes and Deadman both on the bench, those guys cannot coexist in a lineup together either. Neither of them can guard a four. And it just re- leads to some really wonky um, uh, substitutions. And I'm definitely not cutting Deadman out of the rotation, even though he's been terrible. Like, I still have to think that he's going to come around. Yeah, and that's, <clears throat> that's what I will change my stance on a little bit from last episode. I think you've got a great point here. And I think it kind of plays into what we had talked about there with defense, the defensive improvements and the improvements of this team overall as well, because you can, I think there's a legitimate argument for starting Bagley in Holmes's spot. And that argument is based on a lot of sunk costs, frankly, with the second overall pick being Marvin Bagley and a lot of future expectations thinking that he's going to be a really special player, which I think is a fair expectation to have, but you're, you're building that in like immediately, right? You're saying, well, we got to play him right now because he's going to be really, really, really good soon. Um, and there's a little bit of something off there. However, what you're doing if, if you put Bielitsa and Bagley out there to start is you're, doing, you're playing the 2018-19 Kings again. You know, you're playing Fox, Buddy, you know, one healthy. You're, that, that lineup essentially comes down to Fox, Buddy, Barnes, Bielitsa, and then one athletic big man. It was Willie Colley Stein for much of last year, but you're doing that again, that same, like that lineup works great in an up-tempo offense. I don't know that it works in Luke's sort of slow it down uh, half-court situation. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. 
Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Part of me thinks that Bagley will get thrown into that starting lineup because Luke seems to really be emphasizing the long-term plan of this Kings. Like we really broke into it with Omer when he came on that, uh, you know, the style of play that the Kings are going with is uh, something that is slower and more likely to work in the playoffs. And you need to have a half court offense. Like Luke could have just ran the ball, ran it down people's throats every single time like the Kings were doing last year and been somewhat successful doing that, but there's no long-term success. And the long-term success of the Kings, a lot of it rides on the shoulders of Marvin Bagley and certainly more on Bagley than Rashawn Holmes. I think there is a slight dichotomy there between the long-term success of the individual players and the long-term success of the system implemented. Because if Walden wants to implement a system that will work in the long term. I don't know that that necessarily means putting Bagley back in the starting slot immediately. Um, basically, I mean, if they really wanted to to foster growth as much as possible, then they probably would have kept Giles, you know, picked up his option. Yeah, that's fair. They could be like, they probably wouldn't play Joseph and Ariza as much. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like maybe this the future facing approach the philosophy might be more in the system rather than the rotations yeah that's a good point especially like mentioning Giles as well I I could see that um but regardless you I think you've got a fantastic point and I think that like what the the most interesting thing about your point where Bagley and Deadman are tied together I think it is a match made in heaven when Deadman is who he's supposed to be and who he has been in the past before this year but what concerns me, what, what alarms me about that, that point, which is a great point, is that Deadman is kind of like hurting Bagley in that sense. Uh, in what way do you think? Just because if Deadman were just – you t- say you take his last three years and you just – that average player, who Deadman was over the last three years, you start that Deadman and Bagley. You just do, right? And that's right. like – that's absolute, sure. that works fine. But if Deadman is – is going to be as bad as he is and struggle, struggle as hard as he is, then like it's hard to start Bagley because you can't really start Deadman. Right. Yeah. The entire uh, uh, title of my article that's coming out tomorrow is Bagley starting is reliant on the play of Dwayne Deadman uh, because I think that that is the pairing that needs to happen for Bagley. And I think that Deadman's capable of it, but you're right. He's just been he's been terrible. And like I started to question, you know, is it because he was successful in a high pace offense where he really was not doing much at all. He's always kind of had a bit of a turnover problem. It's never been as bad as this year, um, but he's always had a, I think he is up about like half a turnover from last year. Um, it was never insanely excessive, but he's always had that a little bit. So yeah, I, I yeah. just have to hope that Deadman is going to come out of this and functioning as like a four on offense when I don't feel like he's quite had the opportunity to do that that often um, because there hasn't been like, I feel like Bagley's really unique where when he's out there the same way John Collins was Bagley will be the five on offense would be the one doing the hard roll. Sure. And at the basket, Deadman can stay on the perimeter on the offensive end. Um, 
and then switch to the five on defense. But I know you also pointed out before the year started, Deadman was great at rolling to the rim last year, and that hasn't been the case this year. He was. I think that that, that could be also affected by the – you know, being set up by Trey Young, who is not only a great passer, but also has an insane amount of gravity. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like – Speaking to your point about Deadman, like we don't need to get into how bad he's been, but it is it is significant. I think you know if you're looking at the raw turnover per game type of thing, it's not doesn't really stand out to you. But his tu- turnover percentage has jumped from 12 percent to 24 percent. Right, so doubling. He's doing it in a lot less minutes. He had one game of seven, I believe it was in the second game of the year. Like that's stunning. It's stunning that you could even like. I mean, you don't even need to. to to touch the ball that much if you're doing Deadman. I mean, right. that's horrific. His true shooting has gone from 60%, which is very, very good, to 47, which is very, very bad. Um, and yeah, other stuff as well, like his assist percentage the last couple of years has been really high for a center, 9, 9% and, and 8% the last two years, and this year less than 4%. So, I mean, and that's probably affected by half of his passes, half of his passes just like flying out of bounds for whatever crazy reason. But yeah, no, I I didn't realize that was like the main thrust of your article. I'm really excited to read that actually. And that's a really, really good point. Yeah. I'd be out tomorrow on a Royal pain and uh, a little bit more of a positive note here. What about those three Justin James minutes, man? Oh, he lit it up. Uh, G1. So it was weird. Um, I don't know if this was part of like the live feed or whatever, but before the game started, he came out. Uh, with a mic and like the mic didn't work at first which was weird Uh, kind of a weird misstep and then like he got a mic that was working then he was just like hey what's up Sacramento we just want we want you guys to know like we love you and and we want you all to have a good Thanksgiving and then that was it but he was like hyping up the crowd with this weird Thanksgiving message (laughs) and then everyone was like what was that but then he got like second quarter minutes and we're like okay was that like a weird prelude to Justin James minutes? Right. Like Luke Walton was listening, Justin, if you're going to get out there, then you got to, you got to grab the mic pregame. Or was it like a weird, like was Walton like throwing down some style points, just going up 20 something points on the Suns, And he's like, I'm putting Justin James. Out like <laughs> well, they embarrassed us on opening quarter, night. Wasn't it? Second quarter. It was early on. Was it early second quarter? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it was early, but, like, also the lead was massive. Like, there right. was – it was around that 20-point lead mark. Right, and this was because, likely, there was no Ariza. Um, but, yeah, he had that lob off a set play that they ran a couple different times. Um, a monster block. Monster which block. Was, which was the best part of his three minutes. Uh, that had me so hyped. Like, that – I was so surprised. He also looks skinny as ever. And his three in the corner practically went in. It went as far in as it can go without counting. People were going to lose their 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 shit uh, if that had gone in. He would have been on track to be the next <laughs> Harry, Harry Giles if uh, he had completed that sequence. But, right. yeah, it's always funny when a player comes out of nowhere and does so well that, like, press row is talking amongst themselves. Like, who is that? Who is that that just uh, had that block? <laughs> Right. And, you know, we still haven't talked on the player of the night, his career night. Yes. Um, it is time to give him due. 
I mean, Bogdan Bogdanovich, career high seven threes, career high thirty one points, um, career high six turnovers. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Way to throw some cold water in our faces. Yeah, well, you know. I'm not really tripping about that. Deserved though. six turnovers, to be honest. Like he meaning you, yeah. not not deserved. That was the wrong word, but acceptable six turnovers with this performance. Acceptable for sure. That's like one of those things where no one I mean, how many turnovers has Luca had in his triple doubles like no one cares if he has i don't remember the six bogdanovich turnovers but i sure remember a couple of those threes for sure um i think he hit like four within maybe three minutes four minutes like there was a yeah sudden burst when yeah i mean again like i hate uh talking too much about like the reporters and stuff but there's a, a point when something's happening, when everyone just has to shuffle through their papers and computers looking for career highs. And there was a moment where it's like, <laughs> Oh shit. Everyone like hit, find the career high page on basketball reference right, right now. Well, I was looking through, like it got to a point where I'm looking through a lot of people's career highs because Corey Joseph had yes. a career high of 14 assists. Rashawn Holmes had a career high of 15 rebounds. Yep. Like it was just quite a night for a lot of Kings there. And so like, this Bogdanovich thing, right? For a while there, we were saying Bogdanovich needs to not have the ball in his hands and not be the creator. And now it's like, okay, get Bogey the ball. Now I, we look like fools. Right. And I have no clue which one is right still. Right now, yeah. obviously, it feels like Bogey should have the ball in his hands. But literally three games ago, four games ago, we were like, yeah, don't do that. He has been terrible in that way. I guess the mm-hmm. larger sample of like last year, you wanted him running the second unit with the ball in his hands, right? I don't know that I felt that way last year. I, I felt like after the All-Star break, I wanted him to spot up as much as possible and not not be initiating the offense. Yeah. But that's also a different story because you don't have another real option where Corey right. Joseph wasn't on this team last year, so you couldn't. I mean, you could say, hey, Bogey, stop doing too much. But also there was no option to be like, well, here's who we'll give the ball to. Yogi Ferrell was there, but he's also not, you know, a primary initiator type. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting and something to watch for sure. And Bogey could have had more points if he didn't uh, exit the game at one point. You want to kind of go into what that injury was a little bit? Um, I mean, we don't really know what it was. Uh, Katie Hunter pointed it out first that he was grabbing uh, kind of near his glute and hamstring upper upper leg area. Uh, after the game, you know, Walton quickly just kind of shut that down and was just like, we don't know anything about it. The trainers will take a look. Um, and then in the locker room afterwards, Bogey did not seem overly concerned. He thought it was just some cramping. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we haven't heard anything beyond that, so I would not be overly concerned. Right. Not too much of a reason to be worried. Um, hopeful that Bogey will be able to come back for this East road trip and continue his high level of play. And with that, are you good to move on to the road trip? I guess so. Um, I, do you want to talk at all about the kind of like weird breakdown at the end of the game? I I don't have too much. Uh, insight on it other than just to say that I was like disappointed with right 
the like, ability to finish. I remember tweeting uh, halfway through the third quarter that the Kings' career high or season high in points in the paint were 56, and they were at 40 at that point. And they only had 10 for the rest of the entire entire game, the rest of the third and the fourth quarter. Um, Phoenix went to a zone for a little while there. Yeah, and Yeah, and Sacramento just decided to ISO. And I believe there was a quote after the game of Luke Walton saying teams can't zone against us because we have too many shooters. I'm like, well, it just worked pretty good. Well, yes. Yes and no. In theory, it, they shouldn't be able to. In theory, they definitely shouldn't. Uh, I think that Walden is right about that. Uh, at the same time, he was saying that it worked for the Suns in the fourth quarter because their guys were stat hunting. Uh, he felt like uh, – I don't want to – maybe uh, maybe I'm misquoting him there, but paraphrasing saying that they were looking for their own numbers because the lead was so high. That's how he felt at least. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, to kind of stat hunt against a zone. Uh, whereas, you know, you can kind of just find the open man and let him shoot it. But, you know, it gets trickier when you're specifically trying to make your own stuff happen. Right. But – um that's pretty much all I have about that. Like it was, it was worrisome. I think even in the last minute there, it got down to a three point game a couple times, but it was more so like, Oh God, don't do this. And like, I wasn't, I wasn't overly concerned, even though I, I started paying a little bit more attention. Cause at some point I like practically was zoning out when the Kings were just kicking Phoenix's ass um, but they just played sloppy basketball. Like they got complacent because they had that lead. I don't think there's too much to read into it. Have you noticed that Bogey has like a really high propensity for heat checks? Yeah, very quickly too. Like when they shouldn't even quite be heat checks. Like he knows when he's like approaching something great, and and it he goes too hard. What was that game? What was the game where he set the ball down on the court? You know what I'm talking about? I do not remember. They were running out the clock and Bogey. Oh, yeah. And then Corey Joseph got all pissed and came and picked it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was it Portland? It was yeah. a home game. It, I, I think it was, it was Portland. Portland. Yeah. He, Bogey also had a heat check in that game. I'm trying to remember exactly what, it, but he was approaching something that was, it was like a, it was like a double double or something. And you could tell he, I think, uh, this is speculation, I think that he knows his numbers and his stats a little more than most guys, or not that he knows it more necessarily, but that he he gets more in his head about it. I'm trying to remember exactly what that was. Maybe I, I can leave it for another time, but there was something going on in that Trailblazers game where it was like, oh, he really wants to make another bucket, and now he's – really forcing it and it's starting to look bad and it's falling apart. And then he like dribble it off his, his leg or uh, there was a, a bad turnover like that in this game as well, where he knew he was super hot. If he made one more shot, he was going for 30 for the first time ever. <laughs> and he took his eye off the ball and just let it sail out of bounds. Yeah. I was actually surprised that his career high was only 28 when I looked it up. Like it's, it's a decent number, but I did expect it to be a little bit higher. And I think there's a good chance he, gets close to, if not tops, of 31 again at some point during this Fox stretch with the uh, amount of 
amount that he's been asked to do on the offensive end. Like I think that Buddy Heald obviously has been asked to handle the ball a bit as well and initiate the offense, which he clearly is a level below Bogdanovich in that regard um, in regards to passing. And I guess he's decent at creating for himself, but creating for others definitely isn't there. So I think Bogey could have a hot little stretch here. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And yeah, for this road trip, we didn't mention um, Bagley. There was an update uh, that he would travel with the team to the road trip. People got optimistic he could return since the four-week mark actually is uh, tomorrow since he had that um, that thumb injury and it was four to six weeks. So people got optimistic he could return during this road trip, but it was announced that he's just traveling and will not play during this road trip. Yeah, it's a bummer, but also, I don't know. I, I feel like if there's any ever a time to make sure you're extra healthy, it's when guys like Rashawn Holmes and B-Leads are playing completely out of their mind. Right. Um, yeah, you got to play it safe, first of all, anyways. Um, bring him back when he's ready, obviously. But this uh, four-game road trip is interesting. Um Brooklyn has really struggled to start the year. There's a chance they won't have Kyrie Irving. Um, They have been a horrific defensive team. One of the weirder notes I have throughout the NBA is that they're playing Claxton next to DeAndre Jordan a lot recently, and I just don't get it. Like, it it doesn't make sense. But their defense has been terrible. Um, The next game is Washington, who has recently had the number one rated offense because they were scoring like 140 every game, but they were giving up even more and losing more games than not. And then two top teams in the East in Boston and Philadelphia. So it'll be um, a good challenge of a road trip, but do you have confidence that the Kings could come away from this one 500 going in? Two and two is the benchmark here. Yeah, what do you think, higher or lower on that? Or if you feel like that's about right? I feel like that's about right. I'm not really scared of Brooklyn this year that, you know, I don't think anyone super is. Um, it'd be obviously very nice if if Kyrie decided to take another game off there. We got Corey Joseph anyways, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, – then we'll run into the buzzsaw that is Mo Wagner, obviously. Oh, God. Um, so that's an L. Damn, Bagley's not back for that one. I just realized. <laughs> oh, another uh, – That was the poster. First dunk. Right. Yeah. Um, that one, I mean, you got you to gotta put that down as a W. So I'm pretty bullish on like a 2-0 and start. But it's hard for me to – I know it's hard. We can't really ask the Celtics fan to judge the Celtics, but – it's pretty hard to I'm completely objective. Completely. Um it's pretty hard to count in like a 2 and 0 against the Boston Celtics especially like away home and away. I I mean they played a great game against them uh, on Sunday but 
it's it is hard for me to to say that I feel confident about them beating them twice. Right. I don't know. I think you could. So I agree with you. Though. I think those first two games are very winnable, and then I think that you could maybe with the play of these of this Kings that you could hope to be in a winnable position going into the end of a game against either Boston or Philadelphia. Sure. Yeah. Philly's, you know, having their kind of weirdness, you know, Ben Simmons, by the way, he hit a three. Yeah. So <laughs> game over there. Serious. Um, this is kind of a, this is kind of a fun question. How do you divvy up the defensive assignments against Philly? Oh man. Um, I don't know. I guess Corey Joseph again is going on Simmons since he kind of took LeBron and I think they're somewhat similar minus some shooting and obvious experience. Um, Joel Embiid has to be Holmes and I guess Bielita is taking Horford. Um, yeah. I don't hate that. Like for all the Bielita assignments. Right. He's, I don't Horford's not that. a takeover guy on offense or anything. Right. Um, and Tobias Harris has really struggled. Who do I? Yeah, so, but I'm still probably. And, you know, interestingly, I think you could, if Horford was backing down Bielitsa and taking advantage of that, you could maybe put Barnes there and put Bielitsa on Harris, since I think Harris has been pretty bad this year. Um. Harris has been shooting bad, but I I think he can he still could probably take him off the dribble. Probably take it, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I guess I'd probably put Barnes on Harris for athleticism's sake there. But and then yeah, and then Buddy's on Josh Richardson. Yeah, I guess that works. So for I me. guess just straight up. I suppose so. I, yeah, if if Harris is the three, uh, that does make sense. And then and then uh, also. Wondering about the Celtics. I haven't really been paying attention to the Celtics because I don't feel they deserve my attention. Um, but they're not a terrible team like your type. No, no, exactly. Yeah, I'm much more, much, much more into uh, Mo Wagner's uh, Wizards. <laughs> They've been t- very fun, actually. Tell me about what the Celtics are doing. Um, I know that Hayward's out, which is unfortunate, but they. They, is Jalen still coming off the bench? No. Uh, Jalen is starting. Jalen has started every game he's been available this year. Um, yeah, Horton go, uh, Hayward going down was a ginormous loss. I think Hayward was the best player on the Celtics pretty comfortably uh, at when he was healthy, which is crazy. Good for him. He was back to – I won't say back to Utah for him because the athleticism wasn't quite there, but he was playing at a, a very high level. And the – my issue was that I felt like Kemba and Hayward needed to be staggered because you needed one of them to be a creator um, for others around them. You needed one of them in at all time. And right now they're running Tatum in the second unit, which as I don't know, I have a lot of questions about Tatum still in regards to creating for others and his decision-making at times. So they're very top heavy. Um, and the bench has some questions like they're, they, have an understandably good offense, but the defense, I think the numbers are better than what they actually have been because they have had a very light schedule. So I think that they are just able to play smarter basketball against the teams that are clearly 
like a significant talent gap between them. Um, but really a lot of it is just kind of being reliant on that talent at times, like Jalen and Jason and Kemba taking over when they need to and taking turns somewhat. And their first halves have been terrible. The second half, they turn it on. So has it, was it smart that was coming off the bench before he was yeah Hayward's injury? Right. I see. Okay. I've always just, I love smart in the starting lineup so much, I guess. I mean, you know, if he's closing, it doesn't really matter, but, um, obviously he's doing that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not super concerned about, uh, the first two games. If there is, if, I mean, if they drop one of those two games, that's probably an issue. Certainly the Washington game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I will happily take two and two. And I guess if you're putting my feet to the fire, I'll, I'll say two and two on the road trip. I'll say the same. And we never tend to be right. So hopefully they overperform that but you know real quick Brooklyn has your sixth man of the year guy in uh in Spencer Denwitty what are your feelings about uh about bogey sneaking up on that award now I think at one point early in the year we very quickly dismissed that we were like yeah there's no chance (laughs) I think I said I'm pretty sure I said zero percent right which is crazy it it, it was understandable he also was playing like garbage (laughs) yeah it is crazy what like I still think that I think that I just have a poor grasp on what's happening with the Kings. Like it's tough. I have watched every game. I have uh I have spent an ungodly amount of time looking at numbers. Like I should know more about this team than I do. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. This team is just like really a mystery. And part of it is just how many moving pieces there are. Right. There is like no two games have the same completely same rotations. A lot of that due to injuries like coming in and out. Yeah. It's hard. Like guys like Buddy and Bogey are taking massive swings from game to game. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, I mean, like this is the type of team where if Dwayne Dedman were to come out, you know, in sometime in this road trip and make like six, six for six from three, it wouldn't be that shocking. Like that's, <laughs> Like that's that's like where we're at. I, it's just so much, so many pieces are still moving and fitting together that it feels like it feels like Luke is still in a pretty heavy experimentation phase with this this roster. And I'm ready for the for the Deadman Holmes experiment against Claxton and Jordan. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that'll was, be the, that'll be the bench said, lineup when Bagley well, comes on with B. Elitza. When you mentioned them, I was going to be like. I was going to say, oh, that's like Devin and Holmes, but th- then I didn't feel like I, – I even felt like that would be insulting to compare anyone to DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, DJ is – thank God we don't have that guy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I think this is going to be a good road trip. Um, they're going to be gone for a while, but uh, they got a bunch of home games around uh, December, Christmas time. So definitely looking forward to getting out to some games um, around the holidays. Definitely, and hopefully Bagley is back for that uh, November 30th first home game back against Denver, playing them for the second time after being pretty competitive in that terrible stretch at the start of the year. Um, But yeah, you got any final notes here, man? I do not. I do not. I would just love to see another win over the the Celtics so that we can, can talk more shit. Yeah, I'm just so upset that they've only won nine of their last ten. I don't know what to really... Sorry, ten of their last eleven. I don't know what to do with myself. Oh, don't worry. They'll blow it in the playoffs. (laughs) 
All right. Well, thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast, and you'll hear from us again in the next couple days. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCOA.